Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard. And deliver the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode. Olympia level female PEDs. We've hit the males. We want to give some time towards the females, the ladies, for all about physique enhancing compounds. And what should we do? Like from taking some from natural all the way up to what does the Olympia level look like? Luke, how's yeah. it going, man? Good, man. I think this is uh, a topic that I, I talk about quite frequently because I think I'm, I'm very passionate about it um, in that we should have an understanding of what the risks look like going into female PED use, but also what does it look like to keep someone progressing across the entire year and, and what are we actually running into as issues because I don't think it's openly talked about enough when it comes to how the coach client relationship is, is done because coaches are looking for like the quick outcome and almost treating females like mini males. And so that conversation dynamic that we're going to have today, I think is really important. And it's something that I've been on a lot of podcasts and talked about. You've been on a lot of podcasts and talked about, I think it's just good to have this overview so that people know what they're getting into and kind of like how we progress people through the levels as you get more into the higher levels of competition. Yeah, the, the, the main thing around here, like with first off start starting with where, do, where do you begin with the female is you yep. have to know, like what are the, the risk for that female? And that helps guides a lot of the choices uh, mm -hmm. with like the males. We talked about how, you know, androgens are the first thing that we would deploy as in the, in the greatest risk around that is since the levels that we have to take it to are issues with the heart, the kidney brain um, for, for females, they take a lot lower amount androgen wise. However, that is still like the greatest risk profile is brought up with androgen use, but it's around not organ health necessarily um, until you get to a little bit higher, you know, muscularity divisions, but really it's around virilization. So, masculinizing your, your females, losing fertility, uh, having, you know, jaw changes, voice changes, uh, more of the aesthetic stuff, of course, females are concerned with, along with males, you know, acne, hair loss, but the, right. the, the fertility side can be problematic. And the fertility side also then coincides with the long-term health too, because if they're having these androgens that are coming in and that shuts down, their production of, for one, testosterone, but also estrogen and progesterone, those other hormones are really beneficial for a female. It's what makes a female a female. So that leads to more of those masculinizing side effects coming about. But also estrogen is, is like we mentioned, the male is uh, neuroprotective. It's protective for bone, protective for the heart. So it's hard to see, especially research-wise, like what is a long-term androgen using female look like health wise in 50 years. Right. But at yep. least in, in the, in the acute setting, yeah. Virilization is the main thing to look out for. So with that being said, we want to try to get as much progress before we ever have to use androgens in a female. And that starts with Luke, which what we, what you've kind of brought up is like a four level classification for these females of level one being natural 
and mm-hmm. then starting to getting into non-androgen usage. So this would be just like the beginner competitor just getting into it. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to bring up like, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's often the first two to three years of a female's process. I think there's a lot of value in perfecting someone's ability to train, execute nutrition, manage sleep, manage their schedule, that you can get a lot of progress out of that. And we can use these non-androgenics to aid in in the process without running the risk of these virilization-based side effects and and masculization-based side effects. And this is going to fall like in that category of growth hormone and insulin and L-carnitine and clenbuterol being used throughout these phases in an as-needed basis. Now, the caveat with level one that you'll see sometimes is females with a dieting history before getting into like actual physique development competitions, like more so trying to just lose weight and they've already kind of started to see these maladaptations to HPO level two is where hormone replacement therapy starts to come in. You can actually get girls with dysregulated like menstrual cycles and hormone environments, even just simply from birth control usage, where when we're kind of going into this physique development aspect of pursuing competing, we actually have an individual who's needing baseline replacement therapy done just to get their process started and moving in the right direction, which I classify as level two, and the only reason I, I put it a level above is because with testosterone therapy, in order to improve the baseline therapy, we are introducing androgens, and so that's really the only differentiating factor. For the average female that comes across, it will go level one into level two, but there obviously will be cases where we're catching maladaptation, and, and this is kind of the first step, and we can do that and fix their ability to progress over the baseline while we work on the others before we even consider superphysiological deployment, which will be later levels. But level one is all about perfecting how to bodybuild and using non-androgenics in order to help that process. You brought up two things that I want to bring up within that. So yep. for, for, for one, there's, there's an assessment that needs to take place with your females which that's going to guide a lot of those choices because with with coaching, you're not going to have someone that usually fits the perfect model of like, I've been naturally training, competing for the past three years and I've done everything perfectly right. And now I'm ready for like this level one exposure, right? Or, um, and then we can move you up to the level two. It's usually, you might have someone that have come to you that had not been training for very long and maybe got exposed to some androgens. And so you're going to have to assess like, should we still go down that route already with that individual? Then also consider like, what is the age of this individual too and the maturity side of it? So this was a, another thing that, that Luke brought up too, is that for some of these females, you need to consider, and even males for that matter, that, hey, a 21-year-old might have a very different mindset from a 31-year-old mm-hmm. as far as only looking over the next 16 weeks of a prep and doing anything. It doesn't matter what the next 10 years look like versus the 31 year old. Also considering the 21 year old, heck, they might compete for the next 15 years while the 31 year old might only do this for the next five years. So these are the questions to ask when you're coaching the female and what the previous usage was, kind of gauging what that potential might be, how long they might do this for, then also asking them what is important to them about their femininity. 
And is it fertility? Is it their voice? You know, whatever that looks like, because you have a bikini competitor and a female bodybuilder, the definitions to them are going to be very different for what they feel like is feminine. And that helps guide that choices to where you as a coach aren't putting on your bias of what you think feminine should be. So it's a few things around what you were bringing up, Luke. Uh, But we absolutely have people that need to start with an androgen because females have, could be using birth control. They could have, you know, PCOS or they could be pre or, or actually in menopause. So there, there, there's a lot of things to assess and address before you just jump someone into, yep, this is the normal progression to going through. And just some anecdote around it too. Like when uh, Renee, when we were first, just getting together, like she was having like some mood disturbances and issues with sleep. And the first thing we did was like, well, let's, let's look about pulling lab work at the time she was on a, an oral hormonal birth control and her test levels were like in the gutter. She had of course like low estrogen progesterone because of the, the birth control. We kind of learned more at the time about birth control. Like, all right, let's stop this. Test levels were still low, and that's when she came on with using TRT because Renee's in her 30s, so it's not she's not a, in her 20s, so it's a different situation, and she was going to compete. So that's when she started TRT. That was her first exposure to an androgen and, and how that went about. So where you guide your females, whether it's starting with level two or, le- or level one, yeah, it depends where they're coming from and what was done previously. Yeah, and all of this assessment is obviously done via lab work, right? And if we have, you know, menstrual cycles still, even if they're not ovulatory, obviously we're using lab work to check that. Like money, somewhere. money to bring up what that is for for people that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, females ovulation. Are, females yeah. are Mar- Mars and Venus, right? Like females are <laughs> u- uni- unicorn of creatures. Yeah, and I'm gonna give like the Cliff Notes version because absolutely want to. <laughs> learn learn everything about this. We have the female module. John and I built the whole thing just so that you know everything you need to know about coaching females. But um, Cliff Notes version, ovulation is obviously the process that happens when we're kind of preparing an egg for fertility, right? So it's actually the release of that egg. We have uh, that happen in corpus luteum forms, and that's how progesterone production in a female happens. So um, very, very brief overview of that. You can have menstrual cycles that are normal, which is an ovulatory menstrual cycle. You can also have a menstrual bleed with no ovulation. So we can use lab work to check to see like where that status is by pulling it about seven days before your menstrual cycle. I don't, I don't say day 21 because variability in menstrual cycle length is so high. You need to know like approximately seven days so you can see if you're getting that progesterone spike. That's when we're testing for ovulation, but this is also going to be based on hormonal environment. See like where's test at, what's the progesterone to estradiol ratio look like, all of these things so that we can now shore up that assessment piece of symptomology, age, goals, and then put lab work in with that and then have a really accurate viewpoint of what the next steps are ahead. And this is kind of where we start to get females back to a productive baseline, which is what I'm really passionate about because I think this is how you make long-term progress with a female. Yeah. And to even dial that back even more generalized in in case anyone's unclear, like for a female, like what we would consider the healthiest state 
would be how fertile they were. Like if you were able to actually get pregnant, that's women should be at their, their peak level of health. And an ovulation is the process of which they would be able to fertilize an egg. So just because you're having a bleed doesn't mean you have an ovulation occurring. So if you're at your, your healthiest, so also usually when we're going to be able to have the best training progress, the best recovery, your best moods and, and along those lines. So um, that's just why this is even a, even we talk about it and why it's even important because that is the pinnacle of female health, kind of the standard yep. which we should compare to. And where if we're using some type of compound, if it's deviating from that standard, then we're, we're bringing in risk. And that's where we have Absolutely. to, then this is exactly what we're, we're talking about here. So um, with that being said, is there anything you want to touch on, like not the non-androgens around that for people who are like, why are you growth hormone insulin in a female? Like, um, um, I don't think we need deep dives there, but is there anything else you want to talk about there? I don't think there's a whole lot to cover, like, without doing our like in-depth episodes about perf each perf one. perfectly fine. Yeah. If, if anyone below, if you like, man, I really want to know all about growth hormone, male and female, we could do a whole podcast on that, on that for you. I, but we I can, think that's where that goes. If we go further it, is, is where <laughs> it does. It does. But yeah. I, I think, I think from there, we just, um, we bring up the first androgen exposure, like for a level yeah. two female, which for a female, like you're, if you're pulling these labs along the way, a, a level one, if there are natural, like, gosh, you might, they might stay there two, three years, but usually that, that first exposure to non-androgens is relatively shorter because it's not the game changers in, in <laughs> like for how fast you're going to make progress relative to using like an androgen. So that might be six months to a year. And then we're seeing like along the way, maybe you have a testosterone level that's in the, the normal range for a female, which for, we also see females being really low. So what we consider optimal, where we try to put our females, is a little bit towards the higher end. So this might be around this 70 to kind of 80 um, nanogram per deciliter range. So if you have a female that's maybe they're sitting in the 40s, they're like, okay, we could bring about something by bringing in TRT. And testosterone, why this would even be considered in a female for one, it's has a long-term track record of, of being safe. It's physiologically recognized can get it bioidentical so your body knows how to metabolize this to estradiol and dht um, also um, here in the u.s especially you can get scripts prescriptions of female dose testosterone that where you know which is the problem with some of the other compounds female use like primo or anivar that it is what it is and then we can go and test lab work and say, oh, yeah, this amount of testosterone rose up a serum testosterone level of this amount. You can't do that with any other compound. So that also makes it uh, less risky for a female, too. Um, and then the big thing is, is the devil is in the dose. So some people say never give females testosterone. It's like, well, they naturally produce it. If they're low, it makes sense to bring that back up to this optimal level when it's appropriate. And starting points for testosterone are three milligrams of something like a testosterone cypionate per week. So this is very low dosing. And then you titrate up from there, which a lot of females might get up to around 10 milligrams per week. It just varies on the response. But that's the beauty of it because we're able to look at lab work and adjust that 
off the female's response. And this is going to help guide us when we get to some of the other androgens off what that response even looks like. And where do you start dosing wise on primabolin or Anivar or something like that? Yep, absolutely. Um, I think that covers kind of all of level two. And what I would say before we go into super physiological androgen use is we're going to be using this baseline therapy for people who need it pretty much year round. And the reason I'm a big advocate of that is we're kind of increasing that area under the curve of progress rather than taking a female through these super physiological phases and getting these big spikes and peaks of progress at super physiological implementation. And then it just tanks down to the bottom when you pull those compounds out because the duration of use for females is short. You're actually getting this like steady elevation of a progression baseline with small jumps when super physiological comes in that allows that female to progress so much more across a year because we're still making significant progress for that physique with that baseline. It's just as someone goes up the ranks of muscularity and need for compounds, which is where I like to start this conversation into super physiological is implementation of super physiological androgens should be based on need for the client and the class that they need to compete in relative to the muscularity that they carry. And I think that starts to carry us into level three, where I know you kind of want to introduce like what compounds are on the table, potentially what are not, you know, why do we see different androgenicity profiles with certain compounds and go from there? Yeah. And, you know, just, just with the introduction of, because all these compounds, they, they have a, a certain synergy that works together. So mm-hmm. if you have a female with testosterone and growth hormone and, and, you know, and injectable carnitine altogether, like independent of one another, like using them all together, you can get a little bit more out of them. And then if you are just using just a solo monotherapy, right? So mm-hmm. you absolutely get a lot of, a lot of progress through those alone, but there should be a gauge along the way, just like you said, is that we don't give out, you know, protocols based on just what a division is. Obviously, yeah, higher muscularity, that it's probably going there to be more. But I still have females that just carry a lot of muscle and they just don't need a lot at all. And you'd be surprised, like pro level athletes that you, you would you wouldn't even believe how little they were they were taking. So it should be based around that and then from there it scales up based on the the response that we are seeing and what i would go off of like when should you be looking at this thing uh to to introduce an androgen is for one training performance is the big tool that i like to go off of and also how it's correlating with weight increases in the visuals so we have a female in the off season and we're in a growth phase we have food increased and we're seeing body weight move up the look is getting softer and we're not seeing it correlated with increasing in training performance. This might be the time where they're just getting more advanced and either we just handle that. That is what it is. And we just know it's going to be a slower rate of progress. But if they have a profile of risk that they are more adverse, they want to accept more Then that's when, okay, well to speed up this progress back to beginner levels, you bring in the engine and the same thing when you're bringing in the engine once you see that progress slow down again, visuals get softer driving up weight, and also they were seeing training performance slow down, that's when you scale up dosing. And it just kind of keeps going up there. Just just for some type of assessment that's taking place of when would bees coming into play. 
And there's a consideration about what I brought up earlier with how, what the age is and how long someone planning, planning to compete for. Cause if you do have this 31, 32 year old, that increase from level one to level three might be a lot faster than we would do with someone that's like 21 coming into it. Yep. So, yeah, I, I didn't even answer you. I didn't even answer what you're asking me, Luke, about what <laughs> okay. what what compounds are on the table. So, I guess I'll take a break, and uh, you can you can an- answer your own question. <laughs> oh man, um, I think I want to open that conversation with you know. There's a theoretical discussion and a actual coaching discussion to be had with that, right? right. Um, theoretically, the ideal scenarios are deployment of like a primo or master on because we know being DHT derivatives, they're not going to convert into estradiol or DHT, right? We can manage the androgenicity based side effects better relative to other compounds that are often brought up in the male category. Um, we have Anovar on the table as well. And that's where typically the coaching discussion comes into play is a lot of times Anovar as an initial deployment is demonized because we know Primo slash Mastron would be ideal as far as escalating someone up with less health health detriment. But sometimes you're going to run into clients who can't get real Primo or Mastron. Either the Primo is faked for test or the Mastron is, is faked for something else. Often, sometimes even EQ. Um, and, and if we have real Anovar, that might be the safest deployment to go into superphysiological with that client knowing that what they have is real. Now... The, the thing that we want to discuss is like dosing and duration because just like with testosterone, devil is in the dose, but it's also in how long these females use it. Um, we should probably cover some of the other ones off the table though first before we get into that. Sure. Because, yeah, because we have like Primo Masteron, Anovar on the table. You know, we have the consideration for MPP, uh, but we know with like, it's relative amount to shut down HPO. It's going to be slightly higher. We do have evidence for potential increases in androgenicity with it. So I do kind of save that. And you can kind of comment on this typically for my higher level four clients. Um, or even if again, the situation is we can't get real other stuff and it's like the only thing that we can have on hand. Yeah. I think, you know, where, where all these compounds even came from is they were designed for females. Like they, mm-hmm the initial treatment for advanced breast cancer, they used testosterone and it was used to offset the effects of, of estrogen. So if on this receptor side, you have androgen receptors, estrogen receptors, and testosterone was basically trying to offset that effect that of estrogen binding. Mm-hmm. So they're like, Hey, these, these drugs, they're pretty harsh on females for virilization. We should make something that do, doesn't convert to DHT. And that's when you have Mastron, Primabol, and all these other compounds coming out to try to bring about the same effect. And Masteron, mass being breast, was the compound of choice utilized at the time for treatment of breast cancer. And they had a comparative study with Nangelone. The effects with Nangelone for that treatment was a, a slightly better, but it was far worse for virilizing side effects on a milligram per milligram basis. So, so Nangelone, it absolutely could be more androgenic and cause more side effects. And the same with Anivar, that's been deployed in females, been deployed in babies and children. Um, mm-hmm. it, the, right. Really, the, the devil's in the dose. And for these, this dosing consideration, 
uh, on a milligram per milligram basis, we talked about this in the male uh, model, is that they relatively will build muscle about the same. So if you had 100 milligrams of Primo, 100 milligram of Nangelone, like these things are going to relatively build tissue about the same, but they absolutely differentiate in side effect profiles. And that kind of guides the choice. So when we look at the research on females of what's been deployed, like Primabolin has been very high dose and is nearly the most benign compound for virilization. Um, then just kind of going down the order of there, you could go Mastron, Anivar, Nangelone from there. Um, Anadrol has been used as well, but just the application doesn't have a lot of play for in females. Um, Winstrol has been used as well. However, the milligram amount has been shown to be so low to cause virilization that I, I never use it in females anymore. And I've had females Same. come to me that have used it and they, it's usually voice changes right away of what I see Same. coaching wise with it. Um, so, and with, with anadrol, maybe that's a consideration for the, the very high level female that the last couple of days before showed it to like, get some extra fullness in the divisions where you need to be just skinned out lean, like female bodybuilding or maybe yeah. WPD. Um, the other compounds, if it hasn't been approved with human usage, that's usually off the table. So we don't use boldenone. Um, trimbolone, you know, trimbolone, it, it, it doesn't aromatize. It doesn't five alpha reduce. It relatively is pretty selective just for the engine receptor, but the, the risk is still pretty high because it don't have a lot of data on it, but it, it's it's usage with what we can get from all the other compounds already are are more than enough. Like there's Olympia level females just using Primobolin and Anivar at the highest level, highest muscularity you could see. There's no reason to bring in something like like that, which has uh, also the the potential to probably be more neurotoxic as well. So that one's yeah. just it's just off the table. Um, I've seen Tarina ball used a few times, T-ball, which it's just hard to access and trust it. And it's also just been less clinically used. So I, I don't use, go to that one either. Um, any of these other ones that like trust alone, um, DHB, like those are, haven't been used in, in human usage. So those have been off the table because we can just get everything we need from the other ones and have more safety data on them. Um, yep. Did I leave off any? Oh, D ball. <laughs> I feel like that's not like deep. <laughs> like that's so far off the table that it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> D balls was meant to be an, an oral replacement for testosterone therapy in males. So th oh, that uh, iron too, not using proviron. Yeah, that's actually a common one you see used in females. That's yeah, and, and it's like probably one of the worst you could. It's 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 you know it's pretty much pure DHT without any of the muscle building effects, uh, <laughs> like DHT gets broken down in skeletal muscle and loses its androgenicity to, and so you don't have a lot of the, the building characteristics, but you can get it binding to all the other receptor sites you don't want. So I know Proviron's been said, well, it's a hardener and, oh, this is a long one, but I'm going to, I'm going to make this real Do short. It. Do it. <laughs> Be because we shouldn't consider these any of these steroids as hardeners. Harden. And you have to say, like, well, how does it make a hardening effect occur? Is it making you lose body fat or is it making you lose water? And 
Steroids aren't great choices for fat loss. They do have pathways they work through that kind of aid the process, but they're not primary fat loss drugs. That would be more like clenbuterol, thyroid, things like that. They're mainly for muscle building. So just don't ever call them even a hardener. That makes it much more clear when you're deploying them. Now for water, a lot of them will drive water retention. And I think some people skew like, oh, I build more muscle on Nangelone because I feel fuller. And it just drives more water retention is all it is. So when I talk yep. about tissue, it's actual contractile tissue. But, you know, with the water aspect, well, how could it, how come when I do use it, it makes me look harder? And so there are a few things around it. For one, you could just be keep dieting and you get leaner. Also, you could have it to where, like I mentioned earlier, it's offsetting estrogen, which estrogen could drive some water retention and potentially there's an offset there. But again, is that the best way to address that issue? And it's, it's usually not. Also, it could be affecting cortisol levels, which a lot usually about the end of prep, there's not issues with estrogen because estrogen's already tanked. It's yep. usually from fatigue, and someone just needs to get pulled back because you have the female. I know you're out there, female listening. You've been on two hours of cardio, low food, and you look like you're holding water. And coach is like, let's put in an AI or a serum to get you hard. Let's put in provirone to get you hard because they're having to push you so much at the end when really we should be addressing fatigue, training fatigue, cardio fatigue. And that's what will drop off a lot of that water. And that's just blurring what the fat loss is from actually that's been occurring the whole time. So, so yeah, anyway, back to it. Yeah. Provirone is just completely off the table. If we're going to use a compound for these purposes, I really use one that actually retains tissue and builds muscle as well. So like Anivar, I really use Anivar than Proviron. And that one's more female Same. friendly as well. Yep. Agreed. It's funny you brought the, the Novadex up or the AI Serm. I actually just covered a, a case on a consult where client was transferring coaches to the person that I was covering this with. They've been on Novadex for 10 months straight as a female. And it's just like, why? It's like, especially if you're in contest prep, like natural production is going to just tank across that prep and we can use labs to verify this and we actually probably should be if anything replacing it if it gets too low in order for the estradiol benefits but before i digress too far let's let's bring it back to dose and duration yes because this is kind of where coaching happens is exposure for how long and how high and this is going to range but just for clarification on the theoretical model which I really want to get across that the levels that we talk about are theoretical models and that it's as you go through and coach, it doesn't go through the levels perfectly. It's just kind of based on need. So as you go through the levels, level one is going or level three, I mean, is going to kind of fall within the realms of anything below 75 to 80 milligrams per week and lower. And for me, that start points somewhere around 40 milligrams per week. For most, for most female athletes, you could potentially argue 35 if you're using like five milligrams Anivar for seven days a week because you're just multiplying that weekly dose by the seven days or that daily dose by the seven days for the weekly dose. Point being is the differentiation between the level is not only the dose, but how long that individual is running it. Because introduction into superphysiological androgens is probably going to have exposures between six to eight weeks because we know that with longer duration usage, even at the same dose, we're running a higher risk of potential androgenicity. 
And this is kind of where with females, we need to combine the decision-making between how long a female is actually running compound, the compound and the dose at which they're running it and increases in one or the other elevate the risk for that female athlete. And so on the low end of level three, you're probably looking at 35 to 45 milligrams a week, six to eight weeks exposure. And then as you go up into that upper end of level three, before you get into the high risk model with level four, I would say 75 to 85 migs per week with 12 weeks of exposure. It's probably kind of like the cap end of that for a prep for retention. And then we're kind of getting into that higher risk when we go higher from there. <clears throat> and to get into that high risk, because I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. Olympia level female PEDs. And if you remember what I had mentioned earlier, it's, you have some Olympia level females that are genetics is everything in this. And you can have someone yeah. that's doesn't even work that hard with phenomenal genetics and they could absolutely be at the top and be taking very little. And you're just, damn, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're just so superior in that way. It's pretty wild to see levels to this, but in general, if you had someone that need to continue to scale up, um, it's not going to be outside where, I'll see females usually up to 150 migs per week. That might be they're having some amount of prima bolin. And then towards the tail end of the prep, you need to do a little bit more to retain performance with like maybe quick deployment of oxandrolone at -hmm. the tail end. Now, beyond that, it's not out of question to see female 200 to 300 milligram per week. Um, Once you're getting into much higher muscular development levels, Going beyond that, th- there's no longer what we're talking about, about really assessing the risk because you just don't care about the risk. And uh, yeah. that is, and I don't want to mention that you're careless, but the, the female risks are around virilization are accepted. And now we're getting more into the male model of risk. So this is getting into like really in, more into the female bodybuilding side where the compound choices and dosages kind of reflect closer to male divisions. And yep. so you're going to run more of the risk around organ compromise in the long term. And so that's where that model starts catering towards. But for the majority of female competitors, I would say less than 200 milligram per week is going to get you extremely far. And if you're not becoming, and this is where level four, as we talk about, this is a, a career level competitor where the the risk is justified right and if you're not at that career level really consider what you're doing going into those dosages because for what um will you get done with bodybuilding and have these changes that occur and are you going to be able to accept that just for if it's a hobby you know or something that you love to do could you still do that and not have the risk and still enjoy the, the, the entire process, right? So that's where it can, it can go, and that's where you see some girls get pushed to, and that's what we do, you know? that It's result-driven coaching. So if you have a female and they accept the risk and that's the goal, that's where we, that's where we take it to. Yep, and again, all of this is, is based off need and, and what that client needs to compete. But I think this kind of circle backs, circle backs to the – the initial line of thought of where is the athlete at? Are they 31 or are they 21? What does the career look like? Is their career based off competing or not? 
And a lot of those questions are very hard for someone to objectively give you because they're so emotionally attached to the end result that get it. Like you pour your heart and soul into something. You want to make sure you win. But you also have to answer that question 10 years from now of whether was it worth it or not, right? And um, another one that I get too is people who run coaching businesses. Like and that need for the visuals to help drive the marketing for their coaching business. And I think that's one where you should be able to accomplish everything you need for a marketing purpose without even coming close to level four if you're a female. Yeah, there's a pressure like with the social media environment to make your look like you can transform females or males for that matter. And that's it, almost, I mean, when you're talking about using PDs and females, it's kind of all unethical, I suppose, but <laughs> may, maybe there's darker shades of gray of unethical and, <laughs> you know, to just like, well, this female hasn't been at this level before. Let me just throw everything at her. We get an amazing result and look what I can do. So there's a pressure as a coach to perform also as an athlete to perform as well. And you, you just have to, really take some hard answer some hard questions around these topics mm-hmm. and and be patient too i mean when i started competing in my mid-20s i didn't think i would be like 37 still competing and the choices i made back then were a lot different than the choices i, I would make now so yeah consider those things and realize like this to get really good at this you have to be in it for several years so you don't need a pull out all the progress just in the first few months that you are jumping into this, that you have a long time of progressing up and save some of those ace cards to be able to play when you have developed a lot more. I agree. Is there anything else you want to cover within that? I don't believe so. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you have female questions or male questions, Leave them in the comments below. Luke and I will answer those for you. And if you are a female, you coach females, you know a female, join the female module. (laughs) It's what Luke and I put together that goes in-depth through assessing female, understanding the, the female physiology, endocrinology, the hormone disruption, gut health, thyroid, fully on PEDs hypertrophy training and how to manage that all into off season and contest prep. So it's a completely unique course. So if you're excited to hear about this information, go check it out and we'll leave the link below until next time, everybody. See ya.